Amen. Amen. Thank, Thank you, Robert. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. All right. Okay. Awesome. Well, good. Good evening. It is evening. Yes, it's after six this evening. Um, it is really great to get to be with you. I so enjoy uh, getting to come here. I will actually be back in Marysville in about two or three weeks. I'll be May, May 9th, I think. There's a group of there, a church I've gone to for several years, and um, so I'll be back in the area, fly back home. I think I'm in, in New York. I am in New York in between now and then and Fort, Fort Lauderdale and different places. If somebody had asked me uh, or said to me years ago, you know, do you think that there's this kind of travel on your horizon? I would have said no, because this wasn't something I necessarily wanted to do. It wasn't something I even asked the Lord to do. Uh, I was pretty content. We had a really good thing going on um, in uh, Waco. You don't know where Waco is or know of Waco. You know, so I, like I think I told you before, somebody said, why did you leave Waco if it was so good? I said, they burnt my compound down, so I had to leave. And, uh, <laughs> and so, so and, then, and that's not really true, but uh, um, uh, but we were there during all of that that stuff and uh, fiasco and all that. But um, but we had a really, really great work there, you know, uh, good good apostolic center that was functioning and all that. And to mine and my wife surprised the Lord, I actually spoke to us and said we were to hand it. Uh, to the to one that had been with us for about 13 years and maintained at that point apostolic authority over it, fatherhood over it, but just began to travel. And uh, I said this to the Lord at that point. I said, look, I will do what you tell me to do, but I'm not going to flesh this out. I literally said, I said, I'm not going to, because I'd been on the other end of it for so many years, I'm not going to get on the phone and start begging pastors for me to come. I said, if this is you, then you're going to have to open doors and you're going to have to, you know, make this thing work. And without any real effort on my own, in a matter of two, a couple of weeks, I was booked for six months. They just started calling and saying, hey, I just felt like I wanted to invite you to cut da, da, da. And I said, well, that's quite amazing because. And, and so anyway, from that point on, it never stopped. And I would, I've just been amazed at it. And. And then, and then the international realm has started opening up. And uh, so I'm, I'm real privileged. I'm real honored. I would always tell the guys in Waco, the moment it stops being a pr- privilege, go find something else to do. Because serving the Lord is a privilege. My, my, I mean, Dan says, thank you for coming. But my standing here to me is a privilege. It is an honor. Because he could have picked anybody and said, I want you, you know, to carry my word. But for me to be able to do what I do is a privilege and an honor from the Lord. And uh, and that's my heart. And so I, I counted a privilege to get to be with you guys and have an opportunity to uh, impart and deposit in in this house. I love this morning services, but I always love these kind of gatherings because everybody comes on Sunday mornings because it's Sunday morning. But you came because you wanted to. <laughs> and so so I, I, I really enjoy this because that usually creates a real fertile environment uh, for, for there to be a depositing of the word of the Lord. It's quite interesting this morning, and I'm a whole lot more relaxed usually because it's not Sunday morning. Uh, but uh, I was uh, this morning when I woke up, and I believe in the supernatural, and I believe God speaks to us today. In fact, tomorrow night, I plan on, on speaking on hearing the voice of God. Out of his presence, the Bible says that between the cherubims, which was where the mercy seat was, he said, there, I will speak to you. And so God wants us to learn how in his presence 
to hear his voice. How many of you would like to be able to hear the voice of God and know that it's the voice of God? I mean, I've been doing this for many, many years, and there's times I know it's the voice of God. There's times I think it's the voice of God. There's times I'm not sure it's the voice of God. But so, so we're always still always learning and growing, but I'll be doing that tomorrow night. And, um, uh, but um, there was another thought I had when I got off on that rabbit trail. But, 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 the, but, but the bottom line is, is that um, I love these, the, the Sunday night times and the times when we come together because it's just a little bit more relaxed and people are, are hungry and they're thirsty and they're wanting something from the Lord. And um, what I was going to say. And so, so uh, this morning when I woke up, I realized I was having a dream. And in my dream, I was dreaming that I was speaking to this group. And I was declaring the faithfulness and the goodness of God to you. That's what I was doing, and 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 it was a, a real anointed. I could feel the anointing in the dream, but then all of a sudden the dream shifted, and this big rush of water came in, and we were all underwater, and and I knew that we had only a certain amount of time before people would start drowning, and and there was a man with me in the dream that I'm related to, uh, in the spirit, and he looked at me and he said, "All the intercessors need to pray." And and so I and my wife and other intercessors began to pray. And the moment we began to pray, something broke and the water began to leave. And there was an escape provided for those who felt like they were drowning. So I, I have a prophetic word for you. Anybody in the room that feels like you're drowning in uh, life, in situations, in circumstances, whatever it may be. If you feel like you're drowning, there is an escape and I believe that God's going to give us the ability to release the anointing and the power of God to break things free so that you can have the escape of the Lord and not have to not have to feel like you're drowning nor drowned at all. Because, you know, sometimes life can drown you. Life is like a, a set of circumstances. So I believe that I release the intercessors to pray. Not while I'm preaching. Um, uh, and, and I just believe that we're going to see something happen tonight for anybody that just senses that, feels that way, has that sensation about you. Now, tonight what I want to do is I want to talk about the anointing. Because we're, my theme for the, for the couple of days, three days that I'm here, is the power of His presence. So let me read a couple of verses. Isaiah chapter 10 and verse 27. Isaiah 10 and verse 27. I got up early this morning and I was praying and I knew I had the word for this morning. But then the Lord began to speak this to me this morning before uh, I actually came. And it says in Isaiah 10, 27, it shall come to pass in that day that his burden will be taken away from your shoulders and his yoke from your neck. And the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing oil. Okay, now maybe some of us or most of us have heard or, or even quoted that scripture that, that it's because of the anointing oil that yokes and burdens are destroyed. And, and there's a real emphasis on the word yoke here. Of course, a yoke was something they would put up, up on an animal, and the purpose for the yoke was to control them. Okay, yokes are for the purpose of two things, control and limitations. So, so the enemy uses yokes in the spirit realm, if you will. He uses yokes to put limits on us. And many times people feel frustrated because they feel like they were built for more than what they're actually living out. I'm bigger and I'm better than what I'm experiencing. I don't know if anybody's ever felt like that, but you probably have. That's because there are limitations on you in the spirit realm. But the good news is God says, I've released the anointing oil to, to not just break, but destroy the yokes of bondage. 
So, so anything that wants to limit us, there is a yoke or there is an anointing that destroys it. But also yokes are the purpose of control. The reason that they put yokes on animals is to be able to control them, move them, and manipulate them in certain ways. God wants to come and He wants to break every controlling element. That controlling element, listen, that controlling element can be sin. That controlling, controlling element can be soul ties. That controlling element can re, be relationships. That controlling element can be situations. God says, I want to come with the anointing oil and I want to destroy the yokes that are controlling you, the yokes that are limiting you. I want to break the powers of those things, the bands of those things, so that you're free. Amen. That's what God wants to do. And that's what God intends to do. But it's the anointing oil that destroys the yokes. Everybody say the anointing oil destroys the yokes. Now, now remember that because we're going to move through some things. Now, look with me in Exodus chapter 30, and we're going to read verses 23 through 33. And I love this passage of Scripture because this is uh, Moses that was given from God how the anointing oil was to be created. This same anointing oil we just read about. By the way, that word in, in Isaiah 10, 27, where it says the anointing oil, that word oil, the very spe- specific word in the Hebrew, what it actually what the idea is, the, one of the best pictures that we have of it, is when you fry bacon, the oil that comes out of the bacon, the grease that comes out of the bacon. That's the idea of that, of that word oil. So the idea here is that the way that the anointing oil is produced sometimes is God heats life up. That whenever, the, whenever life gets hot... Whenever life gets intense and pressurized, there's something that is extracted from us that is the anointing oil that destroys the yokes. Amen. So you need to understand that sometimes we don't receive the anointing oil in some sterile little environment. We actually receive the anointing oil from fighting battles and winning them that gives us the right to step into a new dimension in God. So there is the anointing oil that destroys the yokes. But in Isaiah chapter, or excuse me, Exodus chapter 30 and verses 23 through 33, we, we have uh, a God speaking to Moses and through Moses about the making of the anointing oil. And so I'm going to read this and we're going to read, actually read verse 22 to begin. It says, moreover, the word of the Lord or the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, also take for yourself quality spices. 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, half as much sweet-smelling cinnamon, 250 shekels, 250 shekels of sweet-smelling cane, 500 shekels of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hen of olive oil. And you shall make from these a holy anointing oil, an ointment compounded according to the art of the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. And with it you shall anoint the tabernacle of meeting and the ark of the testimony, the table and all of its utensils, the lampstand and its utensils, and the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering, uh, with all of its utensils and the labor in its base, and you shall consecrate them that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them must be holy. So he's saying when the anointing oil even touched these inanimate objects, it caused them to become holy. 
Okay, I'll deal with that a little bit later. It caused them to become holy. <clears throat> Verse 30. And you shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may minister to me as priests. And you shall speak to the children of Israel saying, this shall be a holy anointing oil to me throughout your generations. It shall not be poured on man's flesh, nor shall you make any other like it according to its composition. It is holy and it shall be holy to you. Whoever com- compounds any like it or whoever puts any on it or on an outsider shall be cut off from his people. So we're going to talk about the holy anointing oil. Now the Bible teaches that every one of us in this room, if we have been, if we're saved and born again, that we are anointed by God. Okay, 2 Corinthians one twenty one. It says, the one who established us with you in Christ and notice the tense has anointed us is Christ. It is God. In other words, he said, you already have been anointed. You may not feel anointed. But the bottom line is, if you belong to the Lord, if you've been saved, if you've been born again, you are anointed by God. You have an anointing on your life. Now, this anointing is a realm of empowerment. I'll get into this in just a moment. It is a realm of empowerment. It empowers you not just to do some of the things sometimes we think the anointing does, but actually, if you're called to the marketplace, it will anoint you and empower you to be able to function in the marketplace. My oldest son, Ryan, started a business six months ago. He just filed his taxes. He owes the federal government $26,000. Because he made and profited $200,000 in the first six months of his business. And he keeps telling me, well, he's already sent me a tithe and he said he's going to send me more. And I said, now it's working the way it should be working. So, so here's, here, here's the deal about Ryan. I have told him for years, you are anointed for business. There's an anointing on you. And he, see, he's so anointed and it comes, become, it's so natural to him. It's hard for him to see that he's actually anointed for that. Because why? It's such a natural thing, but it's natural to him because there is an anointing on him and people favor him and like him and he can just bring the business in left and right because there's an anointing on him for business. See, whatever you're called to, You need to hear this. Whatever you are called to, God has given you an anointing for. And if you don't have an anointing for it, you're not called to it. It's it's really that simple. So whatever you are called to, you have been anointed for. And if you don't have an anointing for it, then you're not called to it. And so what you need to do is stop And decide what you're called to. And you'll know it's a real genuine call of God because you have an anointing for it. Do you understand that? And it may seem so easy and so natural, but it's because God has actually put an anointing on there on you for it. So the Bible says that you are established in Christ and and, and the one that has anointed us is God. Is God so we already are anointed of the Lord. Sometimes it's a matter of us just finding out and discovering where we've been anointed. In first John chapter two and verses twenty through twenty one, it says, But you have an anointing, here it is again, from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and that no liars are the truth. So here's what he's saying about this anointing. He said, The anointing you have will keep you from being deceived. 
It says you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. And then he begins to talk about, in the next verse, knowing the truth. What's he saying? You actually have an anointing from God that will help you to discern truth and error. See, it's not, see, it's not listen, it's not a matter of being logical or intellectual. It's a matter of paying attention to what's happening in your spirit. See, one of the greatest things you're going to have to learn to do is trust what you're picking up in your spirit. Because if you don't learn to trust what you're sensing in your spirit, you can completely miss God and go headlong into problems. Because it wasn't that God didn't speak. It was that you haven't learned yet to trust what you're feeling in your spirit. Women are, are better at this than we men are. But that's no excuse for us men. The Bible says we have an anointing that will help us discern between good and evil. The biggest problems I have ever gotten in was when I disregarded what I felt here. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? When I disregarded what I felt because I looked at it in the natural and I thought that doesn't make sense. Even though I felt here in the spirit that something was not correct and I disregarded this in favor of this. And ended up in trouble. And I think, well, how many more times am I going to go do this before I finally figure it out? I have an anointing from the Holy One that helps me discern between good and evil, right and wrong, error and truth. Amen? So when you learn to pay attention, the Bible says it's the peace of God that actually will direct our steps and keep us in the boundaries that God has called us to. That is called an anointing from the Holy One. That's according to 1 John 2, verses 20 through 21. So we want to activate that anointing. It's already in you. I remember years ago. I walked in and turned the radio. I was living in Tyler, Texas, in training for ministry. And I turned the radio on, and there was this preacher on the radio. And, every, and I, I didn't know who it was. And every word that he said seemed perfect as far as theologically correct. I, I just sat and listened to him. But on the inside, on the inside, I was like, something's not right. Why do I feel this? Even though all the words are correct, there's something wrong. Why am I feeling this? And so whenever the program started going off, it was the Worldwide Church of God with Herbert Armstrong. Now, they later repented but in, 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 and came back into the ways of the Lord from what I understand. But at that point, they were actually considered a cult. And before I even knew who it was, even though the words were correct on the inside, I thought, something's not right here. See, what was that? That was the anointing bearing witness to me concerning what was truth. And what was error? See, listen, you have to learn to trust this more than this. Because when you do, it will help us, help us stay out of error and in truth. One of the other scriptures that is so powerful concerning the anointing is Luke 4, 18 through 19. I love this, obviously, because it's, it's, it's taken from Isaiah chapter 61. But it's where Jesus comes in. He takes the book and he opens the book to this place and he reads these verses out of Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. 
He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, oppressed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And he shut the book and sat down. And now what they tell me was he actually sat down in a seat that was, re, that was uh, reserved for the one that was considered to be the Messiah. So he was prophetically stating, I'm him. This day, these words are fulfilled in your hearing, he actually says. Because he was saying, I'm the one you've been waiting on. I have come to fulfill these scriptures. Now, here's what you need to understand. Every, listen, every prophetic promise spoken to Jesus is for us too. Because we are his many-membered body in the earth that is here to fulfill everything that was spoken about him. So anything the Bible says about Jesus, we have pieces and parts of that that belong to us as well. So whenever Jesus says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me, that is for us. Because John fourteen twelve says, and greater works than these shall you do, because I go to the Father. So everything that he spoke here that he was anointed to do, we are anointed to do as well. So let me just show you what he says here. First of all, he said, I'm anointed to preach the gospel to the poor. What does that mean? Preach the gospel to the poor. That doesn't just mean to go to, to poor places and tell them about Jesus, even though that's part of it too, because they can be more apt to receive the gospel. But the good news to the gospel, I love this, is that it, to the, good, the good news to the poor is you don't have to be poor anymore. You see, because what does the, what does the good news, the, the gospel of the kingdom do? It actually empowers people to come out of their poverty. You see, that's what we don't understand. The good news to the poor is to actually release to them kingdom principles that give them the ability to break poverty. You see, when the children of Israel, which was a type and symbol of our, of our, of our salvation, came out of Egypt, three basic things happened. Number one, the blood came on the, on the doorpost and delivered them from spiritually from destructive forces that want to, wanted to destroy them. Number two, the Bible says when they ate the carcass of the lamb, watch this, it says that there was not a feeble one among them. And they all came out perfectly healed and whole because the gospel or the good news of the, of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ is not only are we saved spiritually and get to go to heaven, but we are also healed physically by what he did for us on the cross. But then the third thing was they took from their neighbors provisions, which many considered to be back wages from the 400 plus years they served as slaves. And they went out of Egypt. Watch this. A very wealthy people, no longer bound with poverty, but now with all the gold and the silver they would need. Why? Because the good news of the gospel is not just that I can get to go to heaven, that my body can be healed, but also that the spirit of poverty is broken and I don't have to be dominated by it anymore. That's the good news. That's why he said, I've been anointed to preach the gospel to the poor. I have been anointed to recover the old waste places. See, that's the anointing God has for us. I always used to tell the people in Waco when I would start trying to teach them. I said, you need to understand poverty and the demonic are linked up together. I said, just look at Haiti. 
It was given to, as an island to Satan over a hundred years ago. It is the poorest nation in the world, and if not in the world, yes, at least in the Western Hemisphere. And all sorts of voodoo and witchcraft operate there because the satanic and poverty go hand in hand. Wherever God's rulership is established, there will begin to be prosperity within those ranks. When principles are operated in, that allows prosperity to come. That's just the truth of God's word. Okay? So we are anointed to preach the gospel of the poor. We are anointed to heal the brokenhearted. What does that mean? All of a sudden, people are given the ability, the power, the empowerment to dream again. See, what happens when people's hearts get broken? They have no more power to dream. I, I love the psalm. I love the psalm. Psalms 126, I believe it is. It says, when God turned again our captivity... It said we were like those that dreamed. In other words, when, when, when my captivity was broken, I found again the power to dream. We were like those that dreamed. Then was our mouth filled with laughter. Why? Because God had turned the captivity so that I could dream again. You see, the anointing of the Lord actually comes and heals the brokenhearted so that we can dream again. So that we can dream. You'll know your broken heart has been healed when, you, when, you, when, when the ability to dream again is restored. It's amazing to me how many people in the body of Christ have lost the ability to dream the dreams of God. It's because they have a broken heart. And it says to set at liberty those that are captives. Among other things, that means to set free from sin, from bondage, that we are set free from every captivity. The recovery of sight to the blind. That can be natural. I've seen blind eye see. I've seen cataracts come off. I was standing on a platform in Tanzania, Africa. This woman came up and she, had came, and she came up to me and they brought her up on the platform. And I said, she said, I was totally blind when I came this afternoon and now I can see. I said, you can see. And she said, yes. And, and I was standing there amazed. I said, you can see. Yes. Yes. No, no, really. You really can see. You are really blind and you really can see. She finally got tired of talking to me. Because, because her eyes had just completely popped open as a result of God touching her and the blind eyes were seen. And this is just the miracle working power of God. But on the spiritual side, God also wants to restore vision to us. The ability to have his vision in us and to be able to see what he sees. And then it says to set at liberty the oppressed or the bruised or the bruised. In other words, that which has been bruised, that which has been wounded. See, uh, it's, Jesus said a bruised reed he would not break, nor a smoking flax would he quench. See, the Lord is very tender. Whenever we have been bruised, he doesn't come roughly to us and, and handle us roughly. He actually knows how to heal the bruised places of our life. And then it says this, I love this, the acceptable, to preach and declare the acceptable year of our God. That's a reference to the year of Jubilee which happened every 50 years, which was God's answer for the spirit of greed. Because every 50 years, everything went back to its original owner and everyone started over again. So that nobody, so, so that there was no need to operate in the spirit of greed and the spirit of mammon because everything was restored back to its original owner every 50 years. And everyone got a brand new start every 50 years. But this is, what, this is what symbolized or released the year of Jubilee. They would blow the trumpet in the land. 
there would be a trumpet sound that would go throughout the land. At the sound of the trumpet, everything was released. Everything went back to its original owner. Everything was restored. It was a time of massive restoration. Now, I have good news for you. About a year ago, I was in a hotel room in Dallas, Texas, before we moved from Colorado back to Dallas. And we were there to get a house, find a place to live, and all these kind of things. And Mary and I had walked through some very difficult places uh, um, in, in our life. And because of something, not because of what God had done, but because of what some people had done. Because, in many senses, I paid attention to this rather than this. And it thrust us into some situations that we shouldn't have been in. But God showed me things in a dream, but I couldn't believe them. He showed me the guy that was going to stab me in the back. And I could not ever see that happening. It just seemed so, so, he must represent something. He must represent somebody else. No, it was him. And because I didn't pay attention to it, because I didn't order my steps according to what I was shown, I got stabbed in the back. And we lost millions of dollars. Millions of dollars that would have been ours over the course of several years. We, we lost that because I didn't pay attention to to what the Lord showed me in the dream. I'm, so I take responsibility. It's not God's fault. It was my fault for not, for not paying attention to Him. So we had gone through a real place of loss. I mean, in, in 2009, I was $250,000 in the red. And I don't know how we made it through, but we got through it. And everything, you know, we, we began to get back in place, all this kind of thing. Anyway... We're now in Dallas, Texas last year, preparing to move from Colorado back to Dallas, trying to get a, a rent house that we could live in because we didn't have things in place so we could buy. So we were trying to get a rent house and able to do that. And I'm in a hotel room and I have this dream. And in this dream, I'm standing and I'm prophesying to a lady that used to be in the church in Waco when we were there. And I'm prophesying these words to her. You can never lose so much. That God cannot recover all. And when I said those words, I suddenly realized I wasn't just prophesying to her. I was prophesying to me. And when those words came out of my mouth, a travail came on me. And I bent over in travail and began to intercede. And this is what the Lord said. That's my word to you, but you're going to have to intercede in travail until it becomes a reality. And every time I start praying for restoration now, this travail will come on me because it is me giving birth to what God has promised that I can never lose so much that God cannot recover all. How many of you believe that? That's a word. That's the word, a word into and for the body of Christ. You can never lose so much that God cannot recover all. You can never lose so much that God cannot recover all. Why? Because he is the God of the year of Jubilee. He is the God of the days of restoration and complete recovery. He is the God that literally releases the sound that sets in motion Jubilee that allows the acceptable year of the Lord to begin to come. So I declare that over you. You can never lose so much. You have never lost so much that God cannot and will not recover all. Amen. So Jesus said, Jesus said here, he literally said, I've been anointed with this anointing. This is the same anointing that's on us. Okay. Now, what I want to do is I want to give you some principles that govern that anointing. 
the principles that govern that anointing. And we're going to take them out of Exodus chapter 30 and some of the verses that I read there. I'm going to give you six principles that govern the anointing. Number one, the first principle that governs the anointing is the anointing is for the Lord. See, we sometimes think the anointing is for us. The anointing is to make me famous. The anointing is to make me accepted. The anointing is to give me favor. It can be all of that, but that's really not the ultimate and the foremost purpose of the anointing. According to Exodus 30 and verse 30, you shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them. Why? That they may minister to me as priests. The purpose of the anointing was to empower them to serve God. The purpose of the anointing was to empower them to serve God, to minister to the Lord, even in the hidden places. The first and foremost purpose of the anointing is, is, is so that we can be empowered to serve Him. So that we can be empowered to serve His purposes. That's really important that we get that. Because otherwise we think the anointing is about us when it's actually about Him. It's actually about Him. So if we're going to steward appropriately the anointing of the Lord, we're going to have to know what it's for. It is not there to make you famous. It is not there to make you rich, even though it can do both of those. It is there for the purpose of extending His rule and His plan into the earth. And so, if you want to be anointed of God, which I believe God wants to anoint you tonight, if you want to be anointed of God, you've got to know whatever He activates and puts on you is for the purpose of you serving Him and expanding His rule into the earth, not to make you rich and famous. Otherwise, we misture the anointing. And we actually start prostituting gifts that are supposed to be for him. It's so important that we not do that. Because if we, if, we, if we don't understand this, we start misusing what God has actually entrusted us with. Now that doesn't mean that we can't have liberty to, to, to function in the anointing in different spheres, whatever God's called us to. But the bottom line is, in my spirit, in my heart, I must always know it's for him. That's what he said to Aaron and his son. I'm putting this anointing on you so you can minister to me. As not even minister to the people. Minister to me. By the way, any ministry we have to the people will always flow first out of our ministry to him. I mean, I've been doing this for a lot of years now. And I still know where it comes from. I still know that if I want to have effective ministry to people... I'm going to first have to take the anointing and minister to him. Because he said, if I'll seek, seek him in the secret place, he will reward openly. And I know, I know that I know. And somebody says, well, see, you're, you're, you're a preacher, you're a minister. Of course, that's what you do. No, 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 no. If you want to be effective in the business world, put him first. Take the anointing on your life and use it to serve him with first. God will release creative ideas to you. How many know he is the God of creativity? The same God that gives me the creative ability to stand here and do what I do will also give you the creative ability to do what you do in the sphere you've been called to. It's no different. It's no different. See, see, here's the problem. We want to take things and make them secular and sacred. God doesn't even think that way. That's a Greek mindset that says this is secular, this is sacred. Listen, the Hebrew mindset says there is no secular, there is no sacred. It all belongs to God. 
The earth is the Lord, the fullness thereof, the world and all those that dwell therein. There is no secular and sacred. It all belongs to God. You're going to serve God tomorrow when you go to work, just like you served him today when you had your hands raised and were worshiping, probably even more effectively there than here. See, because there's no sacred or secular. It's all His. It all belongs to Him. And so when I take the anointing and I say, now, God, I'm going to put you in your rightful place. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to minister to you. Then you, God, releases wisdom, ideas, strategies, and you march into the marketplace. And all of a sudden, you have the ability to be successful there because of an anointing that you first used to serve Him with. Does that make sense to you? There was a lady, seriously, true story. There was a little grandma who was widowed, and she loved missions. She loved missions, and she had no money. And she said, Lord, if you'll give me an idea to make money, I'll take that money and I'll sow it in the missions. Guess what she saw in her dream? She saw the design for what we now call a pop-up camper. And she took the design she saw in her dream, got into the hands of the right people, and they built this pop-up camper that she had the patent on, and she made millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars that she sowed into missions because she served God with the anointing she had. God gave her a business idea that produced millions for the kingdom of God. And that wasn't even the only idea. He kept giving her idea after idea after idea. You say, God could never do that to me. Oh, yeah, every one of you go to sleep every night. (laughs) Or, Or the idea can come some other way. But why did he give that to her? Because she understood the anointing I have is first and foremost to serve him. Number two, the anointing is for generations. Another law that governs the anointing, the anointing is for generations. Exodus 30, verse 31, he said, You shall speak to the children of Israel, saying, This shall be a holy anointing oil for me throughout your generations. See, everybody's trying to, listen, it's quite amazing to me. Everybody's trying to figure out how to reach the youth, because our youth are a mess. Not, Not because there's something wrong with you, it's because the church has been irrelevant and inadequate. Because we thought we had to entertain the youth. Did you understand that now there's a big question mark in youth ministry? Just read, read your Christian magazines. They're all saying youth groups, youth ministry doesn't work. That you hold them for a certain time, but then when they get into high school, and especially get out of high school, they leave the church. That's what, what's what that, on a mass scale, that's what's happening because youth ministry doesn't work. That's what they're saying. I'm not saying your youth ministry doesn't work. I'm saying on a big scale, that's what they are saying. Do you know why? Because we have tried to entertain rather than empower them with the anointing. Because the anointing shall be for your generations. Let me tell you something. When I was 12 years old, the anointing touched my life for the first time. I'm 55 right now, and I'm still pursuing that anointing. 43 years later, that I felt that night at 12 years old. Nobody had to hold me here. Nobody had to make me stay. I tasted something, and I felt something. Listen, that I didn't have a hold on it. It had a hold on me. That's what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3. I am laboring and pursuing that I might apprehend 
that for which I have been apprehended. You see, the anointing is for generations. You let, you let the anointing touch the youth, you won't be able to keep them away. But if we try to entertain them, we can never entertain them as well as the world can. Can't do it. Don't have the power to do it. It wouldn't even work if we could do it. It's the anointing that's for generations. That's what I've always tried to do with my kids. I always wanted them to experience the anointing. The reason these two sat here and the others in the family is because in moments of the anointing, when the power of God would show up and quite honestly, bodies would be flying. Because that can happen. And I'm, I mean, Adam's told me this happens around here every now and then. Bodies are flying and they're bouncing off the floor. I would call for them. Get my kids up here. Why would I call for them? I would call for them because I knew this was an opportunity for them to be touched by God the same way I was touched by God at 12 years old. And I didn't want them to miss the moment. And so hence, they sit here tonight honoring me. You can tell they honor me. They don't honor me because I was a perfect dad. They honor me because they know I'm a real person and I'm also a man of God. That's why they honor me. Because we didn't live with a double standard in our home. That when they were sick, I laid hands on them and they got healed. That they experienced the anointing time after time after time. I'm not telling you something they don't know. I'm trying to get you to see the anointing is for generations. That's the thing that grabs hold of their life. See, I can't go with I can't follow them around everywhere they go, making sure they do what they're supposed to be doing. And believe me, they've done some things they shouldn't have done. Just like I did some things I shouldn't have done. But here's the deal. There was a hook in me because I had been touched by his power that I could never get away from. So God, just when he got ready, would reel us all back in. Because the hook had been set. But see, so many of our youth don't have that today. Because we have substituted anointing with other things. But I'm telling you, there's no substitute for the anointing. There is none. There is none. It's for the generations. It's for the young. I'm pointing at me. And it's for the old. It's for all of us. It's for every one of us. It is the answer. I, pro I promise you, I'm, I'm telling you as God is my witness, you never can get away from that once you have been touched by it. It's very much like Elijah going by Elisha and throwing his mantle on him. And Elisha kills the oxen, takes the instruments that the yokes were made of, burns them, offers the oxen up as a, as a, as a sacrifice and chases Elijah. And says to Elijah, see, all that was an act of separation. Basically says to Elijah, I'm here to serve you. And Elijah says to him, watch, no, no titillation, titillation no, no alluring, no pulling. Here's what he says. He says, what have I done to you? Go back. Go back to your family. Why did he do that? Because he knew if he had to allure him in the flesh, he would leave him at some point. But see, he didn't have to allure him in the flesh. He had tasted the mantle. He had been touched by the mantle. He had experienced the anointing. 
And that anointing kept him, kept him connected to Elijah until the day he received that mantle, a double portion from the Lord on his own life. Because Elijah was always trying to get him to go back, go back. Stay here, I'm going there. I'm not, as the Lord lives and as my soul lives, I'm not leaving you. See, why would he do that? Because there was an anointing that had touched him that would never let him leave. The anointing is for generations. Amen. Number, number three, a third law, a third thing that governs the anointing is that it was to be put on no flesh. Exodus 30, verse 32. It shall not be poured on man's flesh. Now, listen, that, that wasn't necessarily just talking about a skin. It was talking about that which is flesh, that which is fleshly. Fleshly efforts or fleshly conduct are not to have the anointing on it. What does this mean? That means that if I want to carry the anointing, I have to crucify my flesh. I cannot live any old way I want to live. I cannot live a fleshly, unholy life and expect to carry the anointing. That the anointing comes at the expense of dying to, the, to self and dying to the flesh. And I would even say this, to the direct proportion that I am willing to die to my flesh... Say no to me and my fleshly impulses. To that level, I will carry the anointing. It's absolutely true. See, sometimes you don't hear this taught, but I'm telling you that he said you not to put the anointing oil on the flesh. The Holy Spirit will not anoint flesh. He will only anoint that which has died to self and is dying to flesh and saying no to the flesh. He will only anoint that. And whenever I am living a life, watch this, in the secret places of my life. Not, not here where everybody sees it. In the secret places of my life where I'm saying no to me, taking up my cross and following him. When I am doing that, there will be an anointing upon me in public. There will be an anointing that I will carry in other places of my life because the Lord will not anoint flesh, but he will anoint that which is of the Spirit. That whenever I say no to me and yes to him, the Lord said to me one day, he said, every time you say no to yourself, you're saying to me, I love you more. That changed my life. Because all of a sudden that empowered me to say no to that element of my flesh. Whenever this thing would come, when this glance would come, when this idea would come, when these thought processes would come, I would say no. I would say no. I love you more. And it produced a place for the anointing to land because the Holy Spirit will not anoint flesh. He will only anoint that which has been consecrated to God. You see, this is one of the reasons it says, like, certain, certain scripture, Ecclesiastes 10.1. It says, dead flies putrefy the perfumer's ointment and cause it to give off a foul odor. And so he's talking about the anointing. He said, dead flies. What are dead flies? Little things. Little things. But you get enough little dead flies in ointment, and it's going to start having a smell it shouldn't have. Because the ointment, the anointing, should have a sweet smell to it. 
But if you get too many dead flies, too many small things in the anointing, instead of it putting off a, a, a pleasing fragrance and an alluring fragrance that makes people want to come to it, it will put off a foul odor that will repel people instead. So I say, Lord, even take the flies out of my life. Even those, those small things, don't, don't let me make allowances. Don't let me make small um, uh, um, excuses in my life. Deuteronomy 22.11 kind of echoes the same thing. It says, you shall not wear a garment of different sorts, such as wool and linen mixed together. Because he literally said they were not to wear wool in Ezekiel because wool would make them sweat, but they were only to wear linen. So here he says, don't put wool and linen together. See, it was the picture of mixture. In other words, the more pure I can become, the more I can take my flesh to the cross, the more I can surrender myself to the Lord, the more I am undefiled and can carry a pure anointing. I heard a man say one time years ago, I'm, I'm trying to remember exactly how he said it. I was thinking about it the other day. That's like Samson. How many know Samson lost the anointing? So often men of God have lost the anointing and the church doesn't even know it. Because they still can get up and do the same thing they've done. But only the discerning can pick up. There's something missing. There's something different. Because I don't care who you are. I don't care what reputation you have. If you are giving in to the flesh, the Spirit of God will not anoint you. I remember one time I was a young minister. And the pastor that raised me up, James Walker, he's now 75. And I just talked to him this last week. And, and, but I was a young minister. He was in his 40s. I was in my 20s. And I'd gone down to my hometown and I'd preached. And I'd done a really good job. And everybody, whoa, Robert, that was so good. And they were actually saying, you need to come back here and you can be in the church and you can help us. And, da, 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 and all this kind of thing. So I went back and I knew that wasn't God. But so I went back to, to Tyler and I went in Brother James's office and I told him, I said, Brother James, I said, I need to tell you something. He said, OK. He said, I've been I said, I've really been struggling with pride ever since I ministered there in my hometown. I've really been struggling with pride. Now, I thought that Brother James Walker the pastor James was going to say, well, Brother Robert, God understands. <laughs> oh, no, not, not him. Here's what he said. I said, Brother James, I've really been struggling with pride. He said, well, God won't use you anymore until you get rid of it. <laughs> See, he told me the truth because he knew I had to get the flies out of the ointment. And I remember, I mean, I, I, I mean... 30 years later, it's, I still remember this. It's still stung. He told me the truth. God's not going to use you again until you get rid of that pride. And when you get rid of that pride, then you'll become a candidate for God to use again. Because God will anoint, will not anoint flesh. So we need to say, Lord, just take everything out of me that's fleshly and let it all belong to you. Number four, the anointing is not to have a substitute. This is the fourth law that governs it. The anointing is not to have a substitute. Exodus 30, verse 32. Not only do you not pour it on a man's flesh, I love this part, nor shall you make any other like it according to its composition. You say, well, what does that mean? Oh, it happens every weekend in church. All across this nation. You get the music just right. You get the preachers screaming just right. 
you get the right things happening and everybody thinks, oh, that's the anointing. No. They've made a composition like it. It's a substitute. How do, you, how do I know it's a substitute? Because the real anointing doesn't just speak to the head. It impacts the heart. And watch this. Not only does it impact the heart, but the real anointing costs something. See, why do they choose to substitute? Because they're not willing to pay the price to carry the real thing. Because the real thing will cost you hours in the secret place with Him. I've been doing this for years. I'm telling you what I know. The real thing will cost you time, massive time, in the secret place. Until you love the secret place more than you love the public place. When you love the secret place more than you love the public place, you have just graduated to a place of being trusted with his anointing. See, everybody wants to, I say everybody, everybody wants to stand up and be the one that wows the crowd. It doesn't take the anointing to wow the crowd. That's the sad thing about the church today. You cannot have an ounce of anointing but have all sorts of gift and creativity because you need to understand gift and anointing are not the same thing. You can have all sorts of gifts and all sorts of creativity and not have an ounce of anointing. But the normal person sitting in the church seat won't know the difference. Quite honestly, because most of them, some of them, many of them, have never actually encountered the real anointing. Because the real anointing will cost whoever carries it something. It actually will cost them their life. Their life. That they are willing to say, I want that anointing just like Elisha did. I want it more than anything in the world. So I'll do whatever I have to do to obtain it. You see, I moved to Tyler, Texas when I was 20, about 21 years old, before these guys were born. And I moved to Tyler, Texas, and I took a job at Medical Center Hospital. And I worked a weird shift. I worked 40 hours a week at Medical Center Hospital. I worked one day shift, two evening shifts, and two midnight shifts. And the Lord set that up. Because I, I were a four-day period, I worked my full week. But, but the main thing, especially the midnight shift, but also the evening, nobody was there but me. And all I had to do in those days was carry a beeper on my belt. And if it went, went off, go take care of something. And I was just basically there as insurance in case something happened. So my boss said, I don't care what else you do. He said, you can study. He knew I was training for the ministry. He said, you can study. You can read your Bible. You can do whatever you want to do. So what would I do? I would go to the top of that hospital. I would go on the roof. And I would pray for hours. Because I had the beeper, they could still, and I would pray for hours on top of that roof. Because I'm way up, and as far as I know, nobody can see me. So I'm up there, and I'm praying, and I'm animated as I'm praying. I'm praying for hours on Medical Center Hospital's time, with their permission. Praying for hours. Until it came time, after a couple of years that I left there to go take another job. God told me to go take this other job. And when I was leaving, when 
I was about to leave, some of the nurses came and said, you're leaving? And I said, I said, yeah. And they said, wow, we're going to miss you. I said, really? He said, yeah, we used to watch you out the window as you were, as you were practicing your preaching. They thought I was preaching. They thought I was practicing my preaching because I was so animated when I was praying. And they said, we would watch you as you were practicing your preaching. And I, and I was so embarrassed. I was so embarrassed. Because if I'd have known that was going on, I wouldn't have been up there doing that with everybody, the whole world watching me. But the bottom line was, I literally prayed an anointing into place in those days. Because I didn't want a substitute. I still don't want a substitute. If I can't have the real thing, then I don't want anything. I don't want anything. I don't want to, I don't want to, have to know how to play the game. Because he said, you're not to make anything like it. You're not to substitute anything for it. You're to have the real thing. Number five, the anointing is for a covenant people alone. Two more right quickly. It says in Exodus 30, verse 33, whoever compounds anything like it, they'll be cut off. Because whoever puts it on an outsider shall be cut off from his people. What was an outsider? Those who are not a covenant people. They were not of Israel. So he said, you, this, this anointing is only for a covenant people. This is really important. In Ephesians 1.13, it says, In him also you trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So it says, the, the, watch this, the way you, you know that you are actually his is because the Holy Spirit came and sealed you. You were anointed as a covenant person. If you have not experienced his anointing, then there is no assurance nor sign that you belong to him. I'm sorry, but that's true. The way you know you belong to him is you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Now, listen, does that mean you've got to speak in tongues? No, I believe that when you get saved, you receive the Holy Spirit. Because if you didn't receive the Holy Spirit and the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, you're not saved. I don't care how many prayers you prayed. That's just true. Having your name on a church roll doesn't mean you're saved. Having a changed nature means you're saved. That's just true, guys. I'm not trying to shake somebody's theology. I'm just trying to make us understand that when I accepted him, Paul said, the way you know you're accepted, the way you know that he lives in your heart is you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And in Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, it continues in verse 14 about the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance to the redemption of the purchase, possession of the praise of His glory. What does that mean? That means that the Holy Spirit is given to you. And I want to just say this, not just so you can be regenerated, but so you can be empowered. What does that mean? That means I believe the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for everybody in the room. That literally you ought to open your heart and say, because I am his, because I am his covenant person, the Holy Spirit has now come to anoint me and I can receive the gift of tongues and speaking of the Now, people have all sorts of weird ideas about tongues. But the bottom line is, whoever received the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, they all spoke in tongues. Somebody says, well, why don't I need to speak in tongues? If you ask that question, you don't get it yet. Because what's this? You don't get it until you get it. 
Because your mind will argue all day long about speaking in tongues. Until you speak in tongues. Then you'll figure out that when you speak in tongues, it is like a hotline to heaven. Whenever I was a kid, the old Batman series, not the new ones, the old Batman series. There was a red telephone in Commissioner Garden's office that when he picked that red telephone up, it went straight to the Batcave. Into instant communication with Batman and Robin. That's exactly what tongues is. It is a hotline straight to heaven. It is a a red phone that when you begin to speak in tongues, it invokes you into the very presence of God. And God comes to your aid, to your help, and even just to fellowship with you. Somebody said, well, can I get to heaven without speaking in tongues? Well, the answer is yes. But why? I wouldn't. Let me put it this way. I wouldn't want to go to the grocery store without him. Because he is a constant companion. The Bible says he is the paraclete. One called alongside. So the Bible says the sign, or one of the signs, or a sign, the sign I think, that you belong to him is you are anointed. You're anointed. You are anointed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The Bible says he is the guarantee or the earnest, or literally the word should be down payment. See, when you go to buy a house or a piece of property, guess what they require? Earnest money. So that they know you're not fooling with them. This is my several thousands of dollars that says I'm sincere about seeing this deal through. That's what the idea is. God says, I give you the Holy Spirit as my down payment, as my guarantee to you that you are saved and that you are born again and that I will be faithful to my covenant. When you become his covenant person, he gives you the Holy Spirit of promise. That's just what the word teaches. And so that's why he said, don't pour it on any man's flesh. Because, or, or, and, and don't pour it on an outsider or those that are outside the covenant because they don't have any rights to it. Only those who belong to Jesus by the blood. Now, see, this is symbolized throughout the scripture. When God was going to consecrate a person, here's what he would do he would take the blood, he would put it on the big thumb of the right, right hand, the blood on the earlobe of the right ear, this ear, the blood. On the right big toe of, of the right foot, thumb, earlobe, and toe. Then he would come back, and on top of the blood, he would put the oil, the oil, the oil, which is representative of the Holy Spirit. What was he saying? He was prophetically declaring the Holy Spirit will only anoint what the blood has cleansed. The Holy Spirit only anoints what the blood has cleansed. The Holy Spirit only anoints what the blood has purchased. Listen, if you have been purchased by the blood, but you have not received the, the, the guarantee, the earnest, even the fullness of the Spirit, He's there for you because the Scripture says clearly that it is not for outsiders, but it is for those that are in covenant with God through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen?
And that, listen, you can be regenerated and go to heaven, but you won't be empowered until you experience what I'm talking about, which is the anointing of promise that God spoke about. And then the last thing, number six, the, the last law that governs the anointing is that it must be treated as holy. And among other places, Exodus 30, 32, it says you're not to put it on a man's flesh, you're not to make anything like it. It is holy and it shall be holy to you. What does that mean? The word holy simply means to be uncommon. Here's the problem. We can get so accustomed to the presence of the Lord that we treat his presence as a common thing rather than as something that is uncommon. We have just shot ourselves in the foot, if you will, to us experiencing greater levels. Because if you want, listen, if you want greater experiences and greater dimensions of his presence, of his glory, of his anointing, learn to treat it as holy when he shows up. What does that mean? That means it's a precious thing to me. I could tell you the name of the ministry. I'm not going to tell you the name of the ministry because some would have favorable ideas. Others would have non-favorable ideas. But the anointing I, I walk in, to a large extent, not only did I gain it through prayer, but I also gained it through times of importation underneath this ministry. And I'm going to tell you something. They would pray for me, and I didn't just fall down. I would be picked up and thrown in the air because of the power that was functioning there. This, would hap- this happened to me several times. And one of, the, one of the times I'd ridden the bus, I'd flown in from somewhere to meet our church group in Shreveport, Louisiana. And so I go up, I, I would always sit on the platform in this ministry. And I had great favor with them. And I'd sit there and I'd see up front, up close, the miracles, all these kind of things. And then when it came time for the importation, I, I found out I didn't get in the front of the line. Because I discovered that the anointing level would increase the further they went. So I'd wait till about halfway through. Because you didn't want to get it when it started waning, but didn't want to get it on the front end either. So I kind of gauge it. I learned to gauge it. Because I wanted the biggest effect I could have. So, so I, I waited for the right moment and I stepped into the line. And when I came to the line, they prayed for me and literally my feet came up off the floor. And they said, pick him up. And, they, and this time, he, they didn't even say anything. They just waved their hand. I went up in the air and flew backwards. They said, pick him up again. So I, they picked me up again and they did the same thing. And literally, I felt myself go lateral. I mean, I felt like, and I suppose I was, that I was just like flying like a magic carpet through the air. And these, the, the guys behind me that were supposed to be catching me, I took them down like a bowling ball. And I mean, I was done. I mean, they would come and they would pick me by the belt loop. They would put their finger in my belt loop. And they would be screaming in my ears, Get up, Pastor! Get up! And I'm like, get up. I don't have any legs. How can I get up? Because everything was gone from the waist down. Because the power of God was so strong on me. That may sound weird and strange to you, but I'm telling you, it changed my life. 
So I, I get up, I finally get up, the meeting ends, I go get back on the Trailways bus or whatever we were riding to ride back to Waco, about a three, three and a half, four hours ride. And I get on, and when I get on the bus, all the people on the bus that are part of the church, they're, 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 they say, Oh, look at you, we saw what happened to you! That was so crazy, man! You just flew through the air! <laughs> and they're laughing and carrying on. And all of a sudden, one of the guys from the ministry had followed me out to the bus. And he stepped up on the bus and he heard them carrying on. This is going to sound really hard, but here's what he said. He said, I want everybody to stop that right now. What he experienced was holy. Don't you dare make fun of it. And he went off on them to the point that I felt really bad for him. But he was right. You see... They didn't mean anything wrong or anything evil, but they weren't treating it as holy. They weren't treating it as holy. They were diminishing it and treating it as a common thing. And I learned something. I've never forgotten that. I thought sometimes the reason we don't have any more of it is because we haven't treated him holy. Because the anointing oil... Is holy. And if we want greater dimensions and greater levels, we need to treat him as holy. See, we can get so casual trying to be relevant to our culture. And I do believe in that. But sometimes in our effort to be relative, we don't treat him the way he needs to be treated. You see, that anointing, he's God. That anointing is a person. It's the third person of the Godhead. He's called the Holy Spirit. And if we will treat him as holy, and watch this, if we will treat him like God, he'll come and he'll act like God. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not telling you where the line is. I'm just saying, Lord, I want the real thing. I want you. I want your presence. Amen. So could you stand with me? And it's just, if, if you guys can come and ever how you're doing this. And, and I just want to invite him. Because I didn't just come to teach you. I, I, I appreciate being able to teach. I appreciate the spirit of his house. But if I could, I would like to introduce you to my best friend. It's the Holy Spirit. And I love him. And he loves me. So, Holy Spirit, would you just come and would you reveal Jesus? We want to repent for every time we've just out of casualness treated you casually, Lord. We didn't mean to offend you or hurt you. We didn't mean to grieve you or wound you. But we do want you, Lord to be here with us, Lord.